0: morning, we are actually starting a new series about how to take a step in learning, perhaps relearning, and practicing forgiveness. Can you say forgiveness? Forgiveness, yeah. Forgiveness is really central to the Christian faith. You know, some of the last words that Jesus had as he was hanging on the cross was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. You know, he looked at one of the People hanging on a cross beside him, and he let him know that he would be in paradise. He was forgiven in that moment. Forgiveness is central to the Christian faith, but I think the concept of it is not necessarily always practiced, and so it becomes a little bit foreign to us. So take Peter, for example. He was a really close friend and a disciple of Jesus. He asked Jesus this question, Matthew 18, 21 to 22. He said, "'Lord, how often will my brother sin against me?' And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And some uh, different uh, Bibles say 70 times seven. And <laughs> it, what it doesn't mean is that on 78, you're off the hook. That would be nice. But I mean, like, if you have a friend or a brother who's, like, you know, being mean to you 77 times, like, in a row, like, let me just give him a little tap on the head. <laughs> like, just, just let him know that that's not okay. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that forgiveness is eternal. It is so important. I'm sure as you read that, maybe for the first time in your life or hearing that today, you probably felt much like the disciples did. I can forgive one time, maybe two times, seven times, 77 times. The biblical concept of practicing forgiveness is truly foreign. And how we live. And so the title of this sermon series is actually called, to play on words, Foreign Giveness. Huh? Maybe? Okay. (laughs) It's not forgiveness. It's Foreign Giveness. So let me give you the definition of the word foreign. It means strange and unfamiliar. Foreign means not belonging to or characteristic of. Now, the opposite of foreign would be familiar in this sense. That definition is this. Familiar means well-known from a long or close association. It means often encountered or experienced. And familiar means having a good knowledge of. So as we work through this sermon series, Foreign Giveness, I want you to remember this. This is one of the most crucial points. It kind of funnels everything that we're talking about. We need to make forgiveness familiar rather than foreign. Forgiveness needs to become familiar familiar in our practice, in our faith, instead of just foreign. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, I ask that you would just be with us today. Lord, just help me speak uh, what you want us uh, to hear. Holy Spirit, we would just have an openness to hear from you, Lord. God, we all have reasons why it can be difficult to forgive. But Lord, we know, God, that you have experienced pain and betrayal from those that were closest to you, Jesus, you understand this. And so God, we ask that today you would be our peace. God, we ask that you would be our comforter, Lord, that you would be our protector, that God, you would be our helper. So Jesus, we ask that as you've extended forgiveness to us, you would help us extend it to others. Jesus name. Well, let me ask you a question before we get into the word today. Have you ever found it difficult to forgive somebody? We're just going to be honest right from the top. Ever found it difficult? Somebody ever do something to you and you're like, you do not deserve my forgiveness and you justify it, right? And you probably have real good reason for it. We've all probably had some scenario or person in our life where we found it really difficult to forgive. I'm going to jump to a heavy one right away. I had a funny one, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to waste time on that. Uh, This is a more recent one. Some of you know this. Some of you don't. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But last summer, um, really, really tragic. My mom had passed away. And uh, as we were preparing the funeral and all that fun stuff, right, um, I had a a family member, a close family member uh, send me an email. And in their email, they basically wrote, hey, Carlo, so sorry, that your mom has passed, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I, I, I do think that they were being genuine, but they said, I'm not going to be able to make it to the funeral. If that's how the email ended, I would have been totally okay. Because I understand that, you know, when you live further away, there's, there's lots of reasons why timetables can't work out. But then they wrote this, unfortunately, I cannot make it to the funeral because I have prior commitments to participate in a golf tournament. like are you like i i could care less about golf so it's probably even more of a biased view for me if they're like you know italy's playing in the world cup i'd be like okay maybe but like (laughs) which they weren't so let's not bring that up um But I remember they said, like, you know, this is a prior commitment, it's this fundraiser thing, and they're basically just trying to justify this, and I was so frustrated for so many months, and this person always kind of like, you know, would like pick on me and and joke on me or whatever for being a pastor, and it's really funny, because he looks exactly like George Costanza. From Seinfeld. So all I have to say at the dinner table at Christmas or Easter, he would like saying all this stuff. I was like, yeah, but you look like George Costanza. And then everybody laughs and it shuts it down every single time. I, I love this family member, by the way. It's not like I've abandoned them or cut off the relationship. But that was really difficult to forgive. I found that incredibly painful. I found that really, really hard. True forgiveness without an agenda can be really, really hard. The biblical concept of forgiveness may even seem really foreign to us at times because when it comes time for us to forgive, do we always do it? Why is it hard? Because when somebody that we trust and we love, who's an authoritative figure in our life or whomever, hurts us, breaks our trust, our knee reaction is to justify why they shouldn't be forgiven. You ever felt like that? You hurt me. You don't deserve my forgiveness. Why do I have to forgive you? You're like, you're the one that made the mistake. Do I always have to be the bigger person? Oh, I, the amount of times that people have said that, and there is some truth to it, but it makes it really, really difficult. Our knee reaction is to justify why we should not be forgiven. It feels only natural to hold on to things like bitterness, grudges, and unforgiveness. Why? Because I think that we and our culture have been brought up in a way to cancel one another when we make mistakes. And I want to be really clear. Sometimes, a lot of times, there are actually good reasons to hold on to that stuff. Like, it is justifiable to be really upset with somebody and not want to forgive them. That doesn't mean that's what we do, and that's the right path to take. But the feeling is so true. God's kingdom, though, is totally countercultural to us. His ways are literally upside down in comparison to ours. Jesus' life was actually a fulfillment of what true forgiveness looks like. So, today, as we open up this new series, Foreign Giveness, I'm gonna look at three different kinds of past hurts that probably you have experienced in some kind of fashion. And I hope that today we can learn to take at least one little step forward in one of these three areas, because I believe practicing forgiveness helps us see the beauty of life beyond our brokenness. Forgiveness helps us see the beauty of life after the brokenness. C.S. Lewis, some of you know him from Narnia. Others of you know him from books like Mere Christianity. And in Mere Christianity, he says this, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. If you're taking a picture of the screen or notes. This is something to hold on to. We all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. I want to be really clear as we look into these past hurts today that I know that these things that we're about to talk about are not easy. They're very difficult. For many of us in the room, they can actually trigger heavy emotions. It's not simple to bring this up and move past it. So I want to let you know that I do not believe that talking about this for 20-some more minutes justifies the whole conversation. Practicing forgiveness is practicing forgiveness. Not everything is just going to change by the end of the service. But if forgiveness is crucial to the Christian faith, even if it's deep past hurts and wounds, we have to talk about it. As a youth pastor, I frequently said this to the students I said, Bethel students is going to be a safe place where we talk about stuff that matters because it matters. We're going to talk about the stuff that matters because it matters. So today I want us to talk about some of the stuff that matters. The first past hurt I want to talk about is the ones from family or friends. From family or friends. This one sometimes just feels impossible to forgive. Real close family member. You have a real, like your best friend has betrayed you, stabbed you in the back. When somebody that is not close to us, you know, an acquaintance or literally a random person hurts our feelings, it sucks, but typically it's a little bit easier to overcome and maybe move on from that than when it's somebody close. Because it's like, like, you know better. Like we've, we've walked through so much together. When it's family or friends, the pain is so much deeper. It stings so much more. And that's why it can feel near impossible to extend forgiveness in those kinds of scenarios. So whether or not you've personally experienced this from a friend or family member, I'm sure that you know somebody that has. And if you really care about that person that's been hurt, you even find it hard, and you're totally disassociated probably from that other friend or family member, but you might even find it hard to extend forgiveness Right? You're like mad on behalf of that person. You get equally uh, upset with how they've been hurt. Forgiveness becomes difficult. It's not easy. Forgiveness is not fair. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened, though. Instead, forgiveness is a gift to us. Forgiveness is a gift to us. What is forgiveness? It is exactly what God had provided for us, and it's the reason why we are supposed to extend it to others. What is forgiveness? It is a gift from God to us, and it's the reason why we're talking about it today, because we have been forgiven. If you know Jesus as your Savior, he has forgiven you, and you know your dark parts. You know the worst parts of you. I know the worst parts of me, the shadows. Lord knows, and he's forgiven. So he teaches us to forgive. Psalm 103, 10, 14 beautifully puts it in this kind of way. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to, this ch- to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear Another word for that is reverence to those who respect him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. God forgives. It's in his nature. It's in his character to forgive. To be a Christian really means to be a little Christ, which is kind of a weird way of saying that. It's like, good morning, little Christ. How are all of you today? It's just kind of weird. So we say Christians, right? But what does little Christ mean? It means to literally be the hands and feet of Jesus, a mini Jesus here right now in this time on this earth. But I want us to remember that even though when we're forgiven by God, it does not mean that all the consequences of our sins that we have committed are completely forgotten. So example, the Bible is very clear that says the wages of sin, meaning the payment of sin against God is death ultimately. But through Jesus' work on the cross, we're forgiven, and that payment has fully been made. You've been exonerated because of Jesus. But there's still consequences for when we sin, right? If you want to go and break the law, like I like how Pastor Chad said last week of like, if you're going 119 on the 401, it's not a big deal, but the moment you're going 120, it's like, look at that guy. Look at the guy breaking the law and sinning there. I had a, we had a good, a good laugh at that after. If you break the law, you're going to pay the penalty if you get caught. You might get a fine. Maybe you're going to prison. When you lie, instead of telling the truth, you break trust with somebody. What's the result and consequence of that? It can take forever, and it might not ever be repaired back to what it was. When we hurt other people and cause them pain in a bunch of different ways, we are actually choosing possibly to give up that relationship and that friendship, and we might not ever give it back. There is still consequence to our action and to our sin. Now, if you've ever had a family member or a friend that has caused you a past hurt, forgiving them does not mean that you have to deal with their consequences of their words or their actions. Forgiving somebody that is really close to you, this is what forgiveness does. Forgiving others does not release them from their sins, forgiving them releases you from their sins. Let that sink in again. Forgiving that close friend or family member does not release them from their sins. It doesn't mean that it is all of a sudden okay that you have to live in such a way of like, well, it's just not a big deal anymore. I've forgiven them. That means it doesn't matter. No, no, no. Forgiveness does not release them from their sins. It releases you from their sins. Unforgiveness towards others tends to leave us in a place where we're constantly tormented by the thought of how maybe they don't care or they don't understand the pain that they caused you or they don't even realize what they've done. Have you ever had something happen to you by somebody close like a, a family member or a friend and they just keep living on life, having a real good old time and you're like, do you even realize what you said to me? You broke my heart. We were friends. You're my, you're my parent. You're, you, you, are, you are one of the closest people to me. You don't even realize it. Unforgiveness. Will leave you in that kind of state of bitterness. And as time goes by, everybody else moves on but you. And the person that hurt you, you wonder why they're not doing anything to fix it. Because you might even find it simple to forgive if they would just ask for it. But a lot of times people don't. Forgiveness breaks the curse of holding on to what that person has done, it allows you to no longer be held as a prisoner. Here's what forgiveness does when somebody close has hurt you. It transforms you into a victor with a future rather than a victim with a past. Forgiveness transforms you into a victor with a future rather than stay a victim with a past. Forgiveness is more than letting go. There's many times it's like you just got to let go and forgive that person and just move on. No, no, no. That's like, that's like a real bad explanation of forgiveness all around. Forgiveness is more than letting go. It's choosing to step out of the shadow of pain you've felt trapped in for however long or short. Forgiveness is not just letting go. It's so much more. It's choosing to take a step out of that shadow of pain that's been caused. Luke 17, 3-4 says this. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, "I repent, you must forgive him." Now we know that this scripture is normally talked about in the sense of, of forgiveness and why we need to continue to extend that if people are actually repentive. but I want to highlight the word rebuke here, because um, I think it sounds funny, but also because I think that you know Luke's gospel uses this word for a really important reason. We're not. Forgiving people to just let things go so that they never have to deal with the consequence. If, if forgiveness matters, and we're going to talk about the things that matter because they matter, the past hurts that you've gone through, that you are going through, that you will go through, need to be brought up. They need to be talked about or dealt with in some kind of mature way. I want to make it clear to us, though, that if people that are closest to us the ones that are the most important in our lives, they've hurt us. I want to encourage you not to give up on those people so quickly. In most cases, these are the people that we live life with for all of life. And those sometimes, and by sometimes I mean a lot of times, the people closest to us are going to miss the mark, which is literally the word for like sin, by the way. It comes from the word of like shooting an arrow and missing the target. They miss the mark. They make a mistake don't cut them off so easily. I believe that there does come time where the healthy thing to do is to remove yourself from that uh, relationship or friendship either for a season or maybe for your whole life and I don't believe that forgiveness equals God asking to be okay with whatever the other person did to us and so that we should just stay in that relationship because forgiveness is always being the bigger person and you know like allowing them to continue to torment you that's not what God is asking us to do in his word. But I do think that in these scenarios, we need to deeply consider the hurt. We need to wrestle with the consequence. And before we make any relationship-altering decisions, we just need to bring that to the Lord. We need to confront those people that have maybe caused us a deep hurt. Pastor Craig Rochelle from Life Church in the States, he said, in the case of every good relationship is two good forgivers. Now, he's talking about marriage here, But I think the principle applies to people that are close to you. People that are of the utmost importance to you, family or friend. In the case of every good relationship is two good forgivers. And I've never enjoyed hearing this, but it's so true. We cannot control everybody else's actions and responses, but we can control our own. I am responsible for forgiving other people. I am not responsible for them asking for it. I wish it was that way. I really wish that like I had the power to force somebody to ask for forgiveness. And maybe at one point, like I will, I'll have them down. You better forgive me right now. <laughs> maybe, maybe some uh, students in the room, maybe some kids in the room, they need that from mom or dad. <laughs> but we can't control everybody, everybody else's actions, but we can control our own Second hurt, Pastor, that I want to talk about this morning is from church or leadership. This is not one that you are going to frequently ever hear anybody preach. And as long as I've been a pastor, which is almost uh, 10 years, and as long as I've been going to churches about 14 or 15 years, I have never heard a message about how the church has hurt us or how a leadership, and that could mean pastor, that could mean teacher, that could be uh, a police officer, that could be some type of authority figure in your life. See, the most frequent reason why people choose to leave the Christian faith commonly relates to the idea of how a person who claimed to follow Jesus treated them. Most people leave the faith and leave the church, whether that they grew up at or that they were a part of, because of the way that they were treated. You ever met anybody like this? You have somebody in your life, you know, that's like, uh, used to love the Lord, has nothing to do with church anymore. Perhaps you personally have felt this way, and you've considered walking away. It's far too real, and so because this is important, I think we need to talk about it. As a pastor and leader in the PAOC, which is the fellowship that we're a part of, through Bethel, it's a Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, we go through a process of ethical and moral standards that we choose to abide by and live by. And I've accepted this responsibility. Nobody made me choose to do this. I said yes to this, to live to a specific standard. And though you don't know every single detail of, of those standards, it can be rightfully assumed of pastors and the like that people like me should be held to a high accountability because of my role and the influence that I have on everyday people. I actually completely agree to that. If I am going to say yes to a life, that means I'm going to be a leader of people. I am saying yes to the higher standard than the people that I lead. It doesn't make me better in any way. What it means is it's actually much more difficult, and there's a lot more on the line. There's a lot more on the line, right? If if you were to make a mistake, you probably still have your job. If I have to make a mistake, if not have to, but if I make a mistake, most likely I don't have my job anymore. (laughs) That's just the way it works. And I'm actually completely okay with that because I think that leaders should be held to a higher standard because of the influence that we have. But I actually think the principle carries on to people who are Jesus followers, like you and me, Christians in general, because when Jesus saves us and we choose to follow him, we choose to live a new kind of life, a new kind of way the way. And when we fail, just like how the standard is high for me, it's high for us as Christians, which means that the pain is worse for others. Titus 1.16 says this, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciousnesses are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. Nobody wants to hear this, But there's lots of people that go to church and claim to follow Jesus, but they're not Christians. They're not. People will know us by our fruit. That's literally what the word says. People will know us by the way that we live, not what you believe in. Belief is powerful. Faith is of the utmost importance in Christianity. Words are cheap to people. Actions, responsibility, living to the standard of which we said that we would live by, which means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. Maybe you've heard the term deconstruction. You ever heard that? It's been more of a popular term over the last number of years. And it's usually used by people that are wrestling and questioning their faith. And they're kind of tearing apart all of the different uh, theology that they had grown up with. And, and i I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand it because they probably haven't ever had a chance to really think about why they believe what they believe. They've just been told to believe that their whole life. And so uh, as a pastor, I believe that part of my call is to teach the people of God how to think, not just what to think. I want you to really understand why you believe what you believe. And so questions in in, in this kind of way is actually good because it's going to lead you to the truth. But people that go through this journey of deconstructions, uh, they do it for a variety of reasons. So I don't think it would be fair for me to say it's for this reason that I'm about to share. But with the people that I personally know, friends that I grew up with, people that I follow on socials, different faith leaders, musicians, and other people that have gone through this deconstruction process, it seems to be a common occurrence that it's partly a result of how others treated them and their experience within the church. It's very common. It's not necessarily always the reason, but it seems to be like a leading reason of why people leave. And something I've taken note of is that people that decide to leave the faith and leave the church as they're deconstructing are tempted to do one or more of these five things. Number one is that you're going to be tempted to drift away from God. When the church and its leaders or authority figures in your life, when it has to do with your faith, hurt you, you will be tempted to drift away from God. You will be tempted to stop practicing and participating in the local church ministry you will be tempted to extend less grace to those and justify why they don't deserve it. You'll be tempted to group all churches together. Well, my past experience at this church was like this, so the next one I go to, I'm putting my guard up. I'm putting my wall up because, you know, you're all the same. And lastly, you'll be tempted to slander and speak negatively of people. Can I ask you, if you're in a questioning season, if if you're just wrestling with your faith, I want to let you know that's okay today. This is a safe place to do that. But don't allow the enemy to get what he wants. Don't allow the enemy to get what he wants. This is the time to press in to God's presence. This is the time to confront hurt and properly and maturely work it out. This is the time to receive a peace from God that's going to help heal your heart and your wounds. If the church has hurt you, if leadership has hurt you, if a pastor has hurt you, Don't check out. Press in. Don't check out. Don't give the enemy what he wants. Instead, press in. I don't know if you've heard this before, but I just want to, and I know I can't really mean this on behalf of every single person because I'm not, I'm just me. But as a leader and a pastor, I want to offer you today a public apology not because I necessarily think that I've done something wrong, but because that I know people that this would mean the world to them if they heard an authoritative figure say sorry and humble themselves. Because any authoritative figure in my life that has apologized, my respect for them actually grew. It actually grew. I was like, wow, like you're willing to do that? So if you've been hurt by the church... If you've had a painful season with ministry, if you've had a leader that's hurt you and caused you pain, I'm so sorry. I don't think it's okay. I don't think it's that we just let go and move on. I want to let you know, as one of your pastors, that I'm so sorry. And perhaps you've experienced this here at this church. I'm so sorry. God has uniquely set apart Bethel Church to be a place of healing. And I don't mean just like physically, like people get healed on Sunday, which happens quite often, which is amazing. But like, this is a place where people come and their souls are really healed. Can we just get a show of hands real quick? If God has just touched you and healed you at some point with your experience here at Bethel, can you just put your hand up? Could be emotionally, could be spiritually. Yeah, there's so many in the room. I'm sure there's so many people at home. This is a place... Of healing. It's a place of healing. Don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. The last one I want to talk about today for past hurts is past hurts from God. Past hurts from God. Maybe you feel like God has hurt you at some point. Perhaps you feel like your prayers have never been answered like you wished didn't turn out the way you wanted. Maybe you have a, somebody close to you that's passed away tragically and you can't reconcile why or how it happened. Maybe something you believe God has promised you feels like it's never gonna come to pass. All this and more can be very difficult to process. And as I was praying and writing the message for this week, I found this this subject quite hard and difficult to write. But I believe it's important for us to walk through and talk about because I don't think we ever walk through this and talk about it very well now to clarify i want us to switch gears just for you know a minute and i want us to think logically about this if you feel like god has hurt you it doesn't line up with the truth of the scripture and we're going to get to this in a second but it's actually impossible for you to forgive god because god doesn't need our forgiveness because that would mean that he has sinned which means that he wouldn't be god so logically God doesn't need forgiveness, so we don't forgive God. But I do think that we, as humans, wrestle with the idea of why certain things happen and don't happen, and if we believe that it's in God's control, that can be painful for us. And as your, one of your pastors today, I wanna be vulnerable with you, and I wanna let you know that personally, in the last five years of my life, more than ever, I've struggled with this idea, God, you've totally let me down. You have totally let me down. Here's why. May 30th marks five years since the passing of my dad. And time really feels like it has flown by. It was a Wednesday evening here at the church. We were about to go downstairs where our old youth room was. I was literally about to preach and I got this phone call from my sister. And in tears and weeping and anguish, she said, hey, uh, dad's here at the hospital in Hamilton. He has terminal cancer and his bones and in his blood, and in his stomach, and uh, it's way too far along for any treatment, uh, so it doesn't look good. And this was in complete shock to me, and my dad, and my family. None of us had any idea that anything like this was leading up, because my dad was um, quite frequently going to get checkups at the doctor. Even though his health has never been really good, he always went to the specialists, or whoever he needed to do, to try and stay up to date. Right? And uh, it made no sense that for all the times in the last number of months he went, this had totally been missed. I ended up having seven days left with my dad here on Earth. And once he was admitted to the hospital, he never got to go outside again, never got to breathe fresh air again on this side of eternity before he passed. Then last year, I lost my mom. And for years, especially since my dad has passed away, my mom really began to struggle with anxiety, uh, with depression, um, being in social environments. Like, there's, there's no way. My mom watched church every Sunday online since we started. There's no way she would have been able to come in this room. Her social anxiety was, was, was really, really heavy. Even, even family gatherings, basically, she wouldn't be able to go. And we went to many family gatherings where we were there for five minutes, and then I had to take my mom home. My mom checked herself in a few months before she passed over 15 times to the hospital. I remember driving down many different times, wondering, is this the same result of what I got called for last time I went to the hospital? I wondered that. And every time she was sent home out of those 15 times, there were no practical steps of what to take with panic episodes or depression and anxiety other than the meds she was already taking. Until the final time where she was checked in, we actually brought her to a different hospital and she was put in the emergency psych ward. I don't know if you've ever been to that or experienced that, but it's exactly what you think. Like it's it was a mattress on the ground, a toilet in the other side of the room with a big metal door that electronically shuts. It is basically like a prison cell. And my mom was in this for 24 hours and wasn't able to talk to anybody for the most part or go outside or it was as horrible as you can imagine. And my mom stayed in that hospital Every day until she passed with her condition worsening and worsening, no doctor being able to diagnose what was happening. I felt so left in the dark, and I think my mom even felt worse because she had no idea what was happening to her. And a few days before she passed, we realized, um, the doctor said, we, f- we think that she has something called creutzfeldt jacob disease. And what that is is a rapidly progressive fatal neurodegenerative degenerative disorder, which there's a protein in your brain that basically attacks itself and you lose all your motor skills, you, you, your organs be, will begin to shut down, um, there's no reason why this happens and there's no cure for it in any kind of way, and uh, what happens is this can actually live up in your brain for like 10 plus years, and then the moment that you start to see symptoms, you have like maybe a couple weeks, nobody has ever lived past a year that's been clinically diagnosed with this. It's a very rapid decline and it was incredibly difficult to watch my mom pass in this kind of way. As I drove to the hospital on both occasions to visit my dad and then to visit my mom, I spent most of my time, which is about two hours, doing one of three things. The first one was being completely silent, out of anger, not out of peace. The second one was uncontrollably weeping and almost crashing my car many, many times because it felt like I could not see. And the third was unloading all of my emotions and feelings on God, praying honest and desperate prayers, wondering how it is that he seems to continually heal headaches, sprained ankles, and back pain to everybody around me, but in both my cases did not heal my parents. That's what I yelled about. That's what I prayed about. And I'm still working that out. I know that both my parents found healing. They found eternal healing, which is so much better than what they could have been healed for on earth here. I know that. I believe that to be true. But it doesn't make it any less difficult in those moments. In the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, there's a story of a wife who wanted a family. Her name was Hannah. She was one of two wives to a man named Elkanah, and his name actually translates to God will give a son. And she wasn't able to have kids. And so imagine how difficult that would have been for Hannah. Though later in the story, we find out that she does give birth to a son named Samuel. And many of you know that character. We learned that beforehand through that process. She yelled out to God, cried out to God. And in Samuel 1, uh, 1 Samuel 1, to 6-7, it actually says that the other wife would provoke her all the time and irritate her and make fun of her until she would weep and not eat anything at the dinner table. The Bible actually says that Hannah experienced this pain year after year after year. Perhaps you're hearing Hannah's story today, and maybe you feel like you're in the same position as her, or in general, there is the principle of year after year after year. You've had a season or you're in a season where it feels like, God, where are you? You're letting me down. You feel alone. It seems like your prayers have gone up and floated away. Maybe it has to do with starting a family. Maybe it has to do with wondering when the right person is going to come along to get married. Maybe it feels like you've been faithfully giving to God financially, and you can barely make ends meet each month with a stack of bills. Whatever your story is today, there is a deep pain that you carry with you, And like Hannah, you've possibly been carrying it for years and years. And for many of us, we've actually been told that we should not feel this way towards God. Maybe we were brought up in some kind of way or tradition that if we feel like God has left us or or let us down or didn't come through or that our miracle didn't happen, it actually has more to do with us and little faith than it has to do with Him. And so that's actually forced us just to stay quiet about it and just like hold it and like just move on and pretend like it's not a big deal perhaps you've never actually had a safe place to be real about your struggle about your pain about your hurt especially hurt from god not that god hurts us but you understand my point well if we read one of the verses from first samuel Verse 10, I'm going to read the NLT and the message translation because I think they're both uh, do a really good job at helping us see this. It says, Hannah was, deep, was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Nobody told Hannah that it was her fault, that she had not enough faith, or that she couldn't be honest with how she was feeling. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. The message version said, crushed in soul." Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. I want to ask the worship team to come back up, and we're going to respond in a few moments. But if you've ever found yourself hurting, asking the question, why God? This morning and whenever you want, you can pour out your heart to him. God is actually big enough to handle your hurt. It's okay. He can handle your hurt. It's more common than you think. King David, who wrote wrote most of the Psalms, talks about how he had to flee, crying out to God. God, you made me king, and now everybody is driving me out of my country and wants to kill me. Where are you? David did it. What about our man Jesus? He's on the cross. And in some of his last breaths, he quotes an Old Testament verse could have said anything he wanted. He says, God, why have you forsaken me? When we face these incredibly hard and painful parts of life, we need to go to God with our pain. There's no, there's no time to carry that. Like we need to be honest and go to God with our pain. Another quote from Pastor Craig Rochelle, he says this, I believe our God would rather have you yell at him in disappointment and pain than walk away in hurt and defeat. Take your pain to God. A few verses later, the story of Hannah says on verse 19, 1 Samuel 119, after she had cried bitterly and in anguish, inconsolably, went to bed. And it says the next morning, the entire family got up early and went to worship the Lord once more. Went to worship the Lord once more. I don't know about you, but in the most painful moments of my life, especially over the last five years, the last thing I want to do when I wake up after being incredibly upset and angry and crying out to the Lord is wake up and go to church and worship the Lord. But as I see Hannah, I can relate to the principle of wondering, God, how come you haven't come through for me? Like you have all these other people. And I see how she chose. She chose to worship once more. I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna prepare my heart, and I'm gonna worship you, God. So we conclude today, I believe and hopefully that my honesty and vulnerability with you today will help you propel forward in a life of forgiveness. I wanna share with you the importance of talking to a counselor. I wanna talk talk to you about if you've never seen a counselor and you have some deep pains, it's, it's time you get signed up. Go, to talk, go talk to a professional to work this kind of stuff out. You're not above it. Because we know that we live in a world now that's like we're much more open, to like, oh, like so and so is really struggling. Oh, that's so good. They're going to see a counselor. Good for them. The moment something happens to us, the stigma comes back. Just like that. Oh, I can't do that. And I really feel it because of my role as a leader. I go, how am I supposed to do two things like this at once? Be a leader of people, be honest, be faithful, influence and then have to go see somebody professionally because I have some really deep pains and doubts. How am I supposed to plant a church, God, when I'm still mad at you? That's my life right now. Now I know what he's called me to do. I know what he's called this church to do. I'm not gonna let anything get in the way of that because that means the enemy's gonna win. So I can move past that. But I want to be vulnerable and real with you, that if you have a deep pain, just look out for some professional help, and we can help you find that right counselor here at the church. One of my counseling sessions a number of months ago, I was expressing my pain and anguish and frustration, how God did not heal my parents, and how I so badly wanted Him to. And the counselor, who's a Christian counselor by the way, they heard me and responded by reading a scripture. And at first I was like, are you kidding me? I don't need that right now. (laughs) It's not gonna fix it. And for probably one of the first times ever, it fixed it. First time ever in my deep hurt over the last five years. God revealed a very deep meaning in his word that I have yet to personally understand at that moment. It's taken from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's very simple. So, Matthew 5, 4, it says this God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God knows that this life are going to have some really deep pains. There are going to be people that are closest to you, your best friends, your family, that are going to miss the mark. They're going to disappoint. They're going to sin. They're going to hurt and cause pain. He knows that the church is a beautiful mess. Of people and even pastors and leaders are gonna screw up. He knows that when he decides or doesn't decide to do something, that we might feel like we're in the dark. So, what does he do? He has a special kind of blessing for you, and you won't experience that until you have to go through something to receive it. God is our comforter. He is our peace beyond all understanding. Yes, but there is a special peace. There is a special blessing for those who mourn. And God will comfort you. And finally that clicked in my mind and I went, it was almost instant for me. I just felt this peace in that in that counselor's you know, room, in their, in their office. And I went, wow, God wants to give me that? Because it feels like he's abandoned me for five years. He wants to give that to me? And it was difficult, but I just chose to be open in that moment. My prayer for you is that today, and as we work through this series, for forgiveness, that as you extend forgiveness to all the past hurts, that you would experience and know a real blessing special for you, where God will comfort you. So I recognize that everybody in the room's got some type of past hurts, but today we can actually make a choice to be honest with our pain and bring it all to the Lord, even in anguish. So today I wanna ask you to stand and I'm not, I'm honestly not trying to manipulate this moment because it's emotional or that the band is up and we're gonna sing, but I think that this morning it would be so good for us to respond like Hannah responded. She woke up in the morning, after she cried her eyes out to the Lord, she readied her heart and she said, "'Okay, I'm gonna worship you one more time.'" And I think what that means is that wasn't the last time, is that when she woke up the next morning, her and her family, Put their big pants on and went, We're going to worship the Lord. The next day, we're going to worship the Lord. I think that scripture talks about how every day she worshiped the Lord. And we know that her story, there was a beautiful blessing of a son, Samuel, there. We may experience our prayers come true and we might not. But what we can do is choose to worship the Lord. If you're with me this morning, would you just go ahead and just raise your hands to heaven just as a sign of a physical sacrifice to say, God, I choose to worship you. God, I choose to worship you. You are worthy. Just in this moment before we sing, it doesn't have to be loud, it doesn't have to be intense, but would you just release your pain to him this morning? If there is a family member or if there is a friend that has hurt you, If you have a a, a church hurt or a leadership, a pastoral authority figure that has hurt you, that has caused you pain in any kind of way, would you just, with the, the act of raising your hands, just surrender that to the Lord this morning and say, God, you are bigger than my pains. And if you're willing to do it, just let the word forgiveness roll off your lips this morning. God, I forgive them. I release them. I release the pain. I'm choosing to step out of the shadow that I've lived in of pain and suffering. God, I know that today through forgiveness, I am no longer a victim with a past, but I am a victor with a future. Whatever that is, just under your breath, just forgive, release, let go this morning. So like Hannah did can we worship the Lord one more time I hope that you still have it in you I know I've gone way over time this morning don't look at the clock don't don't look at it but can we can we worship can we worship one more time this morning are you with me can we worship one more time go ahead Dan why don't you lead us When the wages of my sin was death, Lord, you paid the penalty. Lord, you know my heart, you know my hurts, you know my pain. And in the same way, Lord, each person in this room or at home or whoever listens to this message, you see them, you're with them, they have not been abandoned. Lord, help us forgive when it's just too hard. God, help us step out of the shadow of pain we've lived in. God, when the enemy convinces us that unforgiveness is justified, God, remind us of how just you are and you chose to forgive us. You took our place, you hung on my cross. Jesus, I just pray for every heart and mind in this place that there would be a touch from you today, that there would be healing in Jesus' name. God, as we continue to walk through forgiveness, that we would have it become familiar to us instead of foreign. God, you'd be with us every step of the way. As we look towards Easter, Good Friday, the cross and the resurrection that provided us this forgiveness, we say thank you. We say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.